this is Joe Peters from Monfed with Joe Peters. <clears throat> Welcome to the Spanglish World Network and the Her Network on Single TV channels 250 and 251. I am Joe, your Mama Coach host. If you are not following me yet, please go to Instagram and find me as my screen says, Joe Unicorn Coach. I handle my own social media. So if you have any topic that you would like us to discuss and have an expert here with us on, on it, go there, send me a DM, and we will make it happen. After over uh, 20 years of working and coaching all over the world, executives and Fortune 500 companies like Goodyear, Pepsi, Mind Valley, I fall in love with helping moms to win the marathon of life. Um, without burning out. And I am here with Danielle today to be talking about that. Also, please remember to download the Single TV app in the respective app stores in iOS and Android devices. While you download, make sure to rate and leave a comment. The app is free. Single TV is also available in Google Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Fire TV, Roku, and Roku Stick in all smart TVs. Now, I am excited to <clears throat> talk and welcome Danielle Bedman. Danielle is going to be here to talk about a topic that can be challenging for us as parents, and that is how to parent strong-willing kids differently to cultivate cooperation without losing your mind. <laughs> and <clears throat> introducing the powerhouse parenting coach for parents um, of a strong will, will kid, Danielle is a positive discipline certified parent educator with years of experience as a teacher, a home visitor with a degree in childhood development from birth to age eight. She's also the mom of two daughters, wife of a 13 year of high school sweetheart. Now we're like, wife of a 13 year old? <laughs> May not match and host of the well-loved podcast, Falling Matter, Motherhood. She empowers parents to crack the code on their strong-willed child personality, meet their deepest core needs to improve their behavior, and find new levels of patience, instead of inadvertently inviting defiance by using traditional tools or playing whack-a-mole with short-side reactions. Families get on the same page and learn how to cultivate cooperation while being kind and firm at the same time. Paul Harley Calm is her one-on-one -on -one week virtually group. We're going to learn a little bit more of that. And she's helping moms and families around the world. Danielle, thank you so much for being here. I would love to start with a little bit of that hero story. What happened in your life that you start doing this? How you fall in love with this part of the work in motherhood? And also talking a little bit about your phrase. I always ask my, 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 my guests to share a phrase with me. And your phrase is amazing. It says, the only person you should compare yourself to is the person that you were yesterday. So, Danielle, with that being said, welcome and let's start. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. I know I could talk about this all day long, so it just lights me up even just hearing you read that again. So my journey started in high school, you know, when you're 18, you're supposed to be, know what you're supposed to do with your rest of your life, and all I knew is I loved working with kids. So I went into education, and the degree was from 
uh, birth, child development, early childhood education, and elementary and special ed kind of all combined so that I could do something in that realm when I graduated. So I did get a teaching certification for elementary, but I knew that I loved kind of the preschool age. So I started working in Head Start programs as a lead teacher. And then I realized, oh my gosh, these three-year-olds, so much happened in their life between zero and three. I want to go back there and I want to see that happen. So then I moved into early Head Start. Early Head Start was great, but then that's where I realized what happens in a classroom is fantastic, but what happens at home is what is really mattering. That's what really wires kids and that's why parents are doing the hardest job in the world with not a lot of support, not a lot of you know education to speak of, and they're just doing their darndest and crossing their fingers and hoping for the best. And so uh, that's when I had an opportunity to move into home visiting. And I started working for Save the Children, doing a program called Early Steps to School Success. And I got to work with families for an hour in their home every single week, um, allowing the parent to do a lot of developmental screenings and uh, have activities with their kids and read books. and. Um, that's where I really got to see, okay, not only am I influencing this one child for this one school year, but this whole family, all the kids in the home for their whole childhood by equipping their parent. And so at that point, I had my first daughter. I've had my daughters right back to back. They're 15 months apart, which I don't professionally recommend. It was a blur. <laughs> And then I ended up doing kind of an in-home uh, daycare with a colleague for a while to uh, spend a lot of time with them. And that's where I realized I wanted to go back and apologize to all of the parents that I worked with before because I didn't know what I didn't know. Parenting is not the same as you know teaching other people's kids in a classroom. And it is so much harder. It is, uh, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. We know, we know how hard it is. But uh, my two daughters could not have been more opposite. My second daughter is, uh, well, my first daughter is so go with the flow, you know, happy to make you happy, um, not a lot to, to worry about. And my second daughter just made everything difficult. She knew what she wanted and she fell apart if it didn't go her way. And everything was a zero to 60 reaction. The, she felt high highs and low lows and no in between. And that's when I started realizing like, oh, I actually don't know what I'm doing because what worked with my first daughter is not working for her. So I ended up finding positive discipline and really just worked on kind of equipping me and my husband to, to know what works for her. And that's when I started just helping friends naturally who had questions as well. And I started doing some in-person workshops and then COVID hit. So long story short, here I am now doing all virtual work and over Zoom, and I have a group coaching program, and I have a podcast that I started just in 2020 called Failing Motherhood, and that's all about uh, n talking about the feelings of, yeah, I'm afraid I screw up my kids, I'm afraid of my temper, I'm afraid that you know I'm not doing this right, and we talk about it even with experts, and that's where you can really realize, okay. I'm not the only one and I am the parent my kids need and it's okay if I ask for help with parenting. So that's kind of led me to today. Good. And let's go now, Joe, also talk a little bit about <clears throat> your phrase yes. and why that is important in this journey of helping parents and moms. Yes. Comparison is such a trap for motherhood, especially if you're on social media or you just compare yourself naturally to any other mom you know or your mom or, you know, it's it's uh, 
constantly like a plague of exposure all day long. And it's really hard to know what is your report card and what to worry about and how to keep the main things the main things without getting lost in all of the small things that you could be failing at but don't truly matter. And I think that uh, you know every mom is is doing a great job if she's even mindful or intentional about uh, the things that she's concerned about. It's like, if you care about it, that means it matters to you. So of course you're gonna be a little bit worried. And if you're feeling defeated, it's because you're trying. So we really just have to focus on that self-improvement piece and that growth over time and really focusing on the wins, focusing on the things we wanna see more of and not just the you know 99 or the 1% that still isn't going well. So comparing yourself to the who you were yesterday, I think is the healthiest way to continue to motivate yourself forward. And I love, I love how you are saying there because I remember when I was in the fourth trimester and I was struggling with uh, postpartum anxiety and depression, my secretary was saying something like that. Is I'm like, just the fact that you are worried about these things makes you be an amazing mom. Like, yes. we will be worried about you as a mom if you will not worry. Like, like hey, everything is okay in my house. I don't have a problem. Good. So, <clears throat> let's gonna start with what are strong wheel kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little bit of the listeners are like, if you know, you know. <laughs> but you do want to know because it can, you, don't know if they have ADHD or if they have something else going on or you feel a little bit crazy because they only do it with you and not anyone else. So what the behaviors look like is the sort of the things I started to mention about my second daughter. They have high highs and low lows and no in between. Their emotions are so visceral and so big, but it's not just the tantrums. It's their excitement and their love and their big heart is just as big. So you see those two ends of the spectrum and they really do know what they want and they have a lot of expectations for how things are going to go or what they're going to do that day. And then they come crashing down with reality and they have a very hard time you know, making coming to terms with that things don't get to go their way. They don't get to be the boss. So they don't get to, you know, do the things that they wanted to do that day. And uh, they are those personality traits are exacerbated and made worse by changes and transitions and stress in their life. So, you know, Things like getting a new sibling at home or going to a new school are going to be particularly hard. Um, they are very slow to warm up, which means that they will warm up and they will thrive. And they typically, you know, hold it together and do really well if for other people and in other environments. But, you know, starting swim lessons, that's going to, you know, they're going to really need to like work their way up to it and work, work their way around it. And that's okay. That's kind of their middle name is you just have to keep kind of remembering that. Um, but they are sensitive, they are perceptive, they are smart and observant. Um, you really can't get anything past these kids. They are um, constantly negotiating. Nothing is, is an easy ask <laughs> because it's always, well, why and can I do it this way? And lots of you know back and forth debating. Um, but they really just want life to be on their terms and they feel like their behavior is justified. So you're not gonna be able to change their mind with a lot of kind of external threats or uh, bribes or you know even explanations. Doesn't They don't care. And I think that this is fab fabulous and fantastic because 
as an adult, I work with women on trying to heal because the reality is as more we learn in psychology, we more have a spectrum of personality traits. Mm-hmm. And these will kids, I never thought it like that until you say that they fit into two or three of those personality traits that are the mavericks, the romantics, yeah. that are their way, that like pleasure. And what we do when we don't know how to handle them as a child is we send them that wrong message that being themselves is wrong. So they suppress that. And then we have these adults in life at 30, 40 years, struggling to be successful, struggling to having uh, happiness in their life, mm-hmm. having to actually invest time, energy, tears, money into additional support to heal that and actually mm-hmm. realize that there is nothing wrong with them being mavericks. That is nothing wrong with them to be this romantic. That is nothing wrong with them have wanting to have things in their own term. And those are actually superpowers Um, So I love that you are sharing this with the moms and the dads because what happens sometimes is that could trigger us as parents, right? Especially if we are not that way. Or if we were that way and we were raised the same way. Yeah. But it's important that we actually start, like my grandma said, looking by beyond our nose. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I know we are dealing this, but how we deal with it is going to impact our children's life for the rest of their lives. So do we really want our child to feel that it's not safe for them to be who they are? That yes. is that is something wrong with them. So I love what you are doing. Let's gonna start with the first thing. You were talking about me before, is then the first thing that we need to do is an identity shift. Let's gonna talk about that and how the parents can go to that realization and move from there. Mm-hmm. Because just being able to identify that your child is strong-willed is a revelation in itself. It explains a lot and it takes the pressure and guilt off of you for uh, creating a monster or thinking that you have a bad kid or that you're a bad parent or all the other stories we could believe that explain what's going on in your home because it feels very isolating and very defeating. And you're not going to see on social media, other families, you know, sharing the reality of you know, how long their child cried or how much they're beating them up, you know, aggressively. And so uh, you can think that your child's the only one and you're the only parent struggling. And being able to realize that there's a whole world of resources for you that makes sense of this behavior that offers you a toolkit that makes you feel more confident and equipped to handle this and know that it's not, uh, you're not supposed to have this figured out. Nobody comes to parenting with all the manual of how to handle their kids because they're getting to know them every single day again. But even more so with strong-willed kids, you need to step into this new role of, okay, my child has a personality that requires kind of a certain set of skills I haven't learned yet. That's okay. So being able to, to embrace that and find your people who are right there alongside you um, that have kids just like you is so validating that you can finally kind of shed some of that shame or that guilt and find new sanity and new solutions. That's definitely step one. And I want to start <clears throat> there because I think it is so important that village community, right? I yeah. was in, in my in my um, TV show for Spanish a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with the mom of a neurodivergent kid. 
And she was saying how important it was for her to have a community of other neurodivergent mm-hmm. kids. So things like were very normal for a um, typical diver- typical kid. Uh, t- I forgot the name that she used. Neurotypical. Um, mm-hmm. For for not that neurodivergent, like going mm-hmm. getting invited to a birthday party. That for a family that is not a neurodivergent. It happened every month, but mm-hmm. for the family of an early virgin that they get invited, it's a big deal. So have that community of saying, hey, or the opposite, he was not. And now we are dealing with that feeling. The same with that is, is instead of, because that is, I'm big on that, instead of letting society mm-hmm. and communities label our kids, I think that this is where we need to put our mama lioness outfit and defend them and fight against whoever it is. Grandparents, mm-hmm. uncles, mm-hmm. do not let society label your kid. Oh, your kid is a monster. Oh, your kid is difficult. And part of that will be because it's hard for you because you can be a lioness and defend them, but then you go to your bathroom and you cry your eyes out and say like, oh my God, what I'm doing wrong. If you have that community, then you are going to that community and they are like, yep, my kid did this too. Yep, that happened to me last week. Yeah, this is how we handle it and solve it. So I, I think that that is cre- critical and it's aligned with what Monfet does and is we require a village. We were not supposed to do it alone. Mm-hmm. The one other one that I was thinking when you were talking that I think that is so powerful is remembering that they are having a hard time. They are not giving us mm-hmm. a hard time. And here mm-hmm. it may, I love how you said, mama, the only thing is your kid needs special skills that you have not developed yet. Mm-hmm. And then in that process, you could be triggered. And one of those skills may be that you need to go to therapy yourself because I'm, not everything is around us. We are not the center of the universe. So it's very easy to say, oh, he's giving me such a hard time. Oh, he's giving me such a difficult time. Why he cannot be easy? When we turn that into compassion and say, wow, he or she are really having a hard time right now. They are not giving me a hard time. They are having a hard time. Then we can bring that motherhood compassion into that mama bear caring of, I'm so sorry that you are having a hard time because I was, I don't know if I was, I probably was uh, a strong-willed kid. I was also um, a highly sensitive kid. So um, having the compassion of saying, like, if you are not like that, can you imagine like, Every feeling will be a stream. So anger will be complete anger. And then happiness, like anybody that laughs for more than two minutes knows how painful can be an emotion that is strong, strong and high. And these kids, based on what I'm hearing from you, that is how they live every day of their life. Mm-hmm. They are living with these amplified emotions all the time. So how amazing is that you help these moms to find that compassion and start actually being proud of that and learning how the kids need support, deserve support, and they as parents need support as well. Yes, exactly. Now, the second point um, is about validation. Mm-hmm. So, um, how these moms can find that validation and know that they are not crazy um, and that there is hope because like I was telling you, I bet you that some of these moms, and I want to hear from you how early these moms can start finding these signals. 
Because I will tell you, <laughs> I have a almost 23-month-old, and I'm already starting to see some of those patterns that I was too of being a very maverick, being very clear, will, will not forget what he wants, no matter how much we distract them, distract him. So uh, I bet that there is a lot of moms going into their bathrooms and crying, just oh, yeah. feeling lost. So h- how is that second step there? Yeah, yeah. I think they uh, have very early signs because they know their child best. And there is no, you know, uh, pathway and manual to kind of check and see where you're at in the process. But there is that sense of like, okay, this is either different than their sibling. And I know that for sure. Um, Or, you know, I don't know what I don't know. This is my first child, but this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like what, you know, my cousin experienced or my sister experienced. So what am I missing? What's going on here? And if you find yourself asking those questions, then yeah, there is something else going on here, but it's not necessarily something where you need to run to get them a child therapist or get them evaluated. And, you know, I think we can quickly jump to drastic conclusions because we we feel so uncomfortable that there's something here that we're not helping our kids with. And clearly they need someone else. They need someone else to step in and, you know, either fix them or teach them something that we don't know. And that's not necessarily true either. I think you know most of their development is uh, pretty typical, as in you know it's in, within the developmental range of meltdowns, and you know they're just experiencing the the highs and lows of their their day to day and trying to get their feet. So maybe it is just more better communication skills or helping them feel more in control in their day to day or just putting small routines in place that help kind of stabilize some of that stress that they're feeling. And that's all they need. But uh, if you you know jump to the conclusion of, well, they have such big anger, they need a therapist to kind of help them fix that. That's not going to address what is the dynamic between you that makes them feel like they have to act the way that they are. It's definitely between parent and child, where it's, again, not anything you're doing wrong. It's their perception of, well, I need to act this way to get their attention or to edge out my sibling or to feel in control or to you know feel better. And that's between you and them. And without being able to address that, by changing the way that you react, you know, having more patience, being able to communicate what you need better in ways that don't feel demanding and feel a lot more cooperative. Um, there, are, there are simple shifts that really just make game-changing difference in your relationship with them. And uh, that's truly what you need to look into first, because then if you have a lot more patience and you're communicating differently and you're putting lots of routine you know, shifts into their day, and you're preventing behaviors from starting in the first place, and you're still seeing exceptions to the rule um, behaviorally, then you know with much more clarity, okay, this is happening both at home and at school. You know, we need further support. We need further assessment at this point. And you can feel a lot more uh, like you understand them as opposed to everything feeling like a hot mess. I don't know what they need. Nothing is working. And, you know, how can you truly get the help they deserve at that point? And I want to be very clear on this because therapists 
had a role in the support system. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we need sometimes therapists to help us, but I cannot, I got actually emotional thinking about that. We are the adult. They are the child. Mm-hmm. So for us to just send the child to the therapist with the underlying message, even if we don't say it, kids are very smart. Go and get fixed by this therapist without getting into the time of working in ourselves, understanding that. Like, I'm going to be a little harsh, but how horrible will be that for our children? Mm-hmm. If we don't fix our part, we are going to keep triggering, like you were saying, the reactions, and then they are going to have this overwhelming part from the other side telling them what they need to do. And excuse my French, it's not freaking fair. So why they need to do their part, but you keep doing the part that is triggering you. So I love that call out to say, yes, we may need a therapist and we're not telling you to not go to a therapist. But if you're going to a therapist, it's a therapist for both of you. It's a therapist that is trained and an expert in not only helping the key to manage some of these emotions, but helping you to understand what you are doing or are not doing mm-hmm. to those emotions. I will give you a simple, simple example that happened. I was talking with, because the other thing that I believe, and mamas, hear me out, write it down. Every single one of you need a support system. Every single one of you need coaches and cheerleaders behind you. I have a coach right now for secure attachment. And I was talking with her about this with my son. So like <clears throat> my son started biting my nipple when he was nursing. If I will just try to fix him, I will be like, no, no biting. Take off the booby. It will be all about him. What I did was I started paying attention. Guess what? He will only bite my nipple when I was nursing him with my phone on. So mm. actually... My action was triggering that he was just saying, like, I am trying to eat so I cannot sign to you. And I do not like you not paying attention to me. This is our moment. So uh, pay attention to me. It's communication. It's his way of communicating that message to you. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I could handle it both ways. Mm-hmm. But, but then now will be a lot more painful and traumatic and hard for him that me stopping, like you are saying, understand what I'm doing and what I could do different. And I'm telling you, Danielle, as soon as I found that, I am aware and I don't have my phone with me when I'm nursing him. He barely ever bite again. Wow. <laughs> yep. So, Danielle, now let's gonna have a deeper understanding on these traits of a strong-willed children. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's go and start letting these mommies and daddies around the world see these traits as some of those superpowers about these that make them different, make them also special. Yes. Yes. It, they really are very, very important, strong traits because they will not be deterred by peer pressure. They are going to be the leaders and they're going to have a very strong sense of self and be unapologetically themselves and very authentic as long as we celebrate that now and allow them to do that now. 
Um, they are the ones that are going to be very passionate about fighting for justice and you know fairness and equality. Um, they will stand up to other people or for other people. Um, they are going to be fantastic humans and, and already are. And we need to just see them for that because, of course, it's hard to parent such a strong maverick type personality at two and at three when they don't have the emotional maturity and they don't have the expressive vocabulary and they don't have all these things to set them up for success. And we just need them to get their shoes on or put, you know, get their car seat buckles on and everything feels so hard and overwhelming. So of course, you know, it's, it's going to feel very adversarial and it's going to feel like there's power struggles, but truly there is a lot that we can just come alongside them and uh, have more of a mutual teamwork type approach that makes them feel like they can be a leader and they can be in charge of a lot of things in their life and they can kind of understand and make sense of things in a way that doesn't have to make them feel diminished or like we're trying to um, squash the spirit out of them. Um, we see them for that and we want to celebrate that and we want to guide mm -hmm. them to use that well. And uh, I think that's kind of the the main grow, you know, pattern of growth that we have as a parent of a strong-willed child is that's a lot of work for us to be able to, to clear the way for them, you know, and not get in the way. I love that. And I love that because it's also a kind of responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. On our part. Like I was talking with another guest about this. We think like, example, like putting your shoes, getting in the car. Like I do not know an adult that will go to another adult. Like I will not go to my husband that is playing in his computer and say, come on, come on, come on, get in the car, get in the car. No, 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 we're going to get late. Like my husband will flip his finger and say, you get not? Where <laughs> yes. you are going? Why you are just telling me now? Yep. Like. Give me five will, minutes. Yes. We will not do that to another grown up, but that is what we do with our kids all the time. We forget we are always living in our own timeline. And when mm -hmm. we are moms, it's challenging because we are dealing with everything, but we forget to add to our timeline, their timeline, and start feeling that respect for their timeline. Yeah. And from understanding that playing with Legos for him is equivalent to my husband working in his computer in a project. is yeah. what they are doing. It's important. So I think that also these kids, strong-willed kids, help us to get that to the next level and start seeing the relationship as a respect relationship. Mm -hmm. I love how you describe them because I think that we all can agree, no matter what political position we have, that our world is going to hell right now with all the craziness that is happening. Mm -hmm. So now more than ever, we need these kids to grow up empowering who they are feeling confident that their skills and traits are valuable and needed so mm -hmm. they can save our world, so they can actually change our world. So I really, really love that. Yes. <clears throat> On that one, before we go into misconceptions, what are some of these tips and hacks that you can share with these mamas? Um, and the first thing I want to say, a lot of our mamas are mom-to-bees. I want you to take no mom because... Mm -hmm. It may happen to you, it may not happen, but at least now you are proactively prepared. 
And for mm -hmm. the ones that are in the toddlers or the four years, five years, what are some of those tips and hacks that we can start switching in ourselves and in our dynamic in our house that will help us to validate these kids, to help them to thrive instead of trying to put them into a box? Yes. Yes. A lot of it comes down to um, the way that you communicate. And there's a book on hostage negotiation by a Navy SEAL called Never Split the Difference. And consider it a parenting book for strong-willed kids because you have to be as intentional with the words you're using and the way that you're communicating with a strong-willed child as you would be if you were negotiating a hostage situation and need everyone to survive because you can't just throw out the first instinct that comes to mind and you know bark out orders and expect everything to go smoothly. It's not gonna work. So don't be surprised. <laughs> you have to be able to think through, okay, what is a way that I can be kind about this and I can make them understand that I actually understand them and I care? Because that we always bypass very quickly into here's what I need from you, here's my agenda, get on board. And they're not ready to listen until they know you have kind of met them where they're at. And uh, so strong-willed kids are constantly asking, do you care? Do you understand me? Do you get it? And if not, they feel like there's no, they have no choice but to escalate the message so that it gets through to you. And we don't want them to escalate, right? We don't want the 30 minute meltdown about the crazy buckles. We just want them to get them on. So therefore you do need to take that extra added step. And sometimes that's simply agreeing with them, right? If they want a popsicle before dinner, popsicles are delicious. I agree. I wish we could only have popsicles for dinner and, you know, eat them outside and that would be so fun. When you're agreeing with something, that does not mean that you are letting them have it. It means that you're giving them the opportunity to feel heard and understood. And most of the time they want that more than the thing that they were asking for in the first place. So we don't need to make them feel bad or wrong for liking popsicles. We can simply offer that agreement of, I hear you, popsicles are fantastic. I wish we, how many could you eat right now? Which which color is your favorite? Oh man, I wish we could have one. And it is time to eat the healthy dinner I prepared. Would you rather, uh, you know, help me set the table or, you know, get your food force? Because you're, you're just needing to basically help them see that two things are true. You love popsicles. And we need to eat our dinner that I prepared. Both of those things don't have to cancel out the other. And we don't need to argue about them, make this huge debate. It's simply being able to say, I'm being kind. And I'm reminding you of what is a non-negotiable boundary. And then I'm following that up with usually a choice that offers some dignity and kind of helps us both get back on the same page of what are the things that are available to kind of uh, a work with like where we can work with each other where we can find ways for you to feel like you have an angle of opportunity of, of a, your opinion or your choice in this matter and um so you could follow it up with you know would you rather have a popsicle after dinner or right before bed in the bath would you rather you know put popsicles on the grocery list um, and you know let's buy more tomorrow find something that they can do and really just honor that request in some way and again you're not letting them have a popsicle right away. It is just being able to say, I hear you and I understand you. And I know that this is a big deal for you because you're really craving it and you're feeling it all over your body. I don't need to force that feeling out of you. I can let you get that out 
and kind of just refocus that energy into the things that you do have control over right now. And when you do that, very often it gives your child a sense of um, shared camaraderie and teamwork and understanding that they really do see, okay, when things are a big deal to me, my parent knows that and they're a big deal to them. And you have to kind of build that credibility now when they're two and three in order for them to believe you and trust you when they're 13, 14, 15, and you want them to come to you about, you know, drugs or girlfriends or things like that, you know, you have to prove, hey, when things are a big deal to you, they're a big deal to me and I understand you and I get it now, even when things are irrational, even when things are silly and you don't have the time, um, it's a big deal to them. And just being able to honor that with your words by by quickly agreeing or empathizing and then moving forward into some choices and using the and instead of but is a really big um, deal. But also um, being able to uh, ask rather than tell. So nobody likes being told what to do at any age, you know? So if you can just simply ask in some opportunities, like, hey, we're almost ready to go. What else do we need to do? Or, hey, in your bedtime routine, like, what? Are, where are we at? What are we, what's next? Asking and eliciting their cooperation is always going to be much more successful than just telling them, do this, do this, do this. So little shifts like that in your communication are huge. I love that. <clears throat> and I know I love that you do the and and the but. And for the mommies and the daddies that are watching this that are not, that are like, but what is the difference? So studies are showing that in our brain, the word but take off everything that we say before, but. Yep. So our brain doesn't take, so it's, 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 if I say, I love you, but you misbehave, our, brain, our kid's brain will not take the I love you. It will mm -hmm. only analyze and get the but you misbehave. So that is why I think that's a great um awareness of being training to instead of that and i love you and this happened mm -hmm. and you hurt and, and you got hurt because you did this yeah I, I and and i love your analogy because the reality is we do not like that like how many of us adults literally change jobs because we have a freaking micromanager boss <laughs> yes. that tell us everything that we need to do every day and is breathing in our neck and we are freaking yeah. adults with our full brain developed to understand that and even then <clears throat> we are either miserable in that job or we find a new job so mm -hmm. thinking that on that with our kids it makes a lot of sense and the other one that i love that you said is as strong-willed kids <clears throat> they are highly sensitive people mm -hmm. little people And I love how you say they only want to reassure that we are hearing them, that we are understanding them, and that we are in the same team that them. And mm -hmm. I think that that is one of the most beautiful gifts that you are giving the audience right now is if we change our mind sheet, mamas, take, post it, and put them around your house if you are dealing with a strong-willed kid. Mm -hmm. My child only most priority thing is feeling secure that I'm hearing her, that I am agreeing with them, that I'm seeing them and that I respect them. And then that immediately starts changing our shift. I say, oh, okay. Yes. And and I love your example with the, with the popsicle because, and if you never read the book, I read the book too. It's fantastic. It is. It's, it's about us 
taking off that generational brainwash BS of I am the parent, it's my way or the highway, I'm the authority, I know better. Mm -hmm. And then start changing that into my child needs to, to feel this, my child needs to have this. So now uh, as we start getting closer to the end is time fly when we're having fun. Let's mm -hmm. talk about five misconceptions that may be um, holding back the home and the life relationship with the kids and how this, I want to talk about the two things very briefly before we finish. The misconceptions mm -hmm. and how we can protect our strong-willed kids from family and friends, judgment and labeling. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the misconceptions that uh, families jump to when they may realize they have a strong-willed child, then they kind of jump to their own conclusions of this is what I need to do. And some of those things are going to send you spiraling in the opposite direction of the progress that you want to see. And so I think it's a huge value add to be able to just bring those two families awareness so that they don't spend even more time struggling than they need to. So uh, one of those things is focusing on consequences and trying to figure out their currency. Uh, I hear parents all the time, I just need to figure out what they're motivated by so I can take it away so that I can change their behavior. And that is not productive energy well spent and it's just ineffective and it's not going to work because there just isn't an external motivator that, you know, aside from potty training, is going to actually make a big difference in their behavior. Maybe it temporarily, but it's not going to sink in. The strong-willed kids are driven by their internal drive of what they feel like is right. And it really doesn't matter if you threaten to, to take away their door or send them to Disney World if they do what you want them to do. It's not going to work um, because you have to be able to just be real with them and be uh, and have that kind of teamwork dynamic and, and collaboratively problem solve is the way that I kind of work through discipline with my clients. And so if you're asking yourself, well, you know, maybe I was taking away screen time. Maybe they don't care about that. I need to maybe take away something else. Just stop that narrative in your head completely. It's not a, it's not going to work. And I was thinking with you, like, how horrible is, and I, this is something that I'm being very big right now with moms, helping our kids to not become needed of therapy and, and things like that message is going to let them be praised of narcissists, of getting used to it, that love is you do what I want mm -hmm. or I hurt you. I do, mm -hmm. you do what I want or I take what you love. Like, how horrible will be that for a kid growing up into getting into relationships with partners that are abusive, that are narcissists, that are all that. But that is how they grow up. So they think that is normal. It's normal that the person that I love, if I don't do everything that he wants, he will hurt me. He will take things that I love. Mm -hmm. so I deserve that. I, I deserve to be punished because I didn't do what he want. So it really, we, I don't want to scare moms with it at this episode, but I really want to bring awareness that that thing that grandparents are like, oh, I did all that and you were okay. Uh, what we are doing in the first seven years of life is going to mm -hmm. be how our kids are going to live their life. Yes. Yep. So it's not pressure of we need to do it perfect, but it's no. pressure of us to 
look for people like Danielle, like me, to support you in the journey so you can do it in the most supportive way. Are you going to make mistakes? Absolutely. 100%. Yes. <laughs> but if you are aware of them, you can repair them in a shorter time versus yes. waiting 20 years and they say, oh my God, now you are dealing with a narcissist partner that is hitting you. I wonder if part of what I did, taking all of your things, make you feel that you were deserving of that kind of love. Yes. No parent wants to feel that regret. No. no. Okay. Um, Danielle, mm -hmm. now that we are wrapping up, what are some of those main next steps that these families can start taking? What are some of these mindset shifts, home shifts that these families can start having? Because the... The most important thing that I think that I love from you is it doesn't have to be a battlefield in your house all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so how we can give, like you were talking before, that hope of we are going to start making baby steps and be aware that maybe a battlefield every now and then, and as more you practice, as easier it's going to be. So let's going to start wrapping up with that and one little message about you on these moms and dads that are learning how to cultivate these strong will kids. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of just going to summarize a few of the points we made throughout the episode because we hit on some of the big themes, which, you know, one is just that I, that embracing the identity shift of, I have a strong willed child they need me to have a toolkit that I haven't learned yet. That's okay. And, you know, just moving into that curiosity rather than that shame, um, that's going to be huge for you just moving forward and seeking out resources and support. Um, the the ma mantra of they're not giving me a hard time, they're having a hard time. That's huge because then you're not going to take it personally and you're not going to jump to a thousand conclusions and let your fear of who they'll be 20 years from now inform like how you respond and react now it is simply a child crying about a broken granola bar rather than a kid that's going to be you know the leader of the jail <laughs> and dropping out of high school you know 10 15 years from now focus on today and the circumstances of today and um, stay kind of present there and realize that, yeah, they genuinely, if they could do better, they would. This is not manipulation. This is not, you know, that they're woke up and chose violence and are out to get you. And no, they are genuinely having a very hard time. And the more that you can be empathetic and respectful of that journey, the more they're going to see you as a huge resource that they'll continue to come back to and trust. So that's one big mantra that my clients can't get enough of. And then from there, just being able to realize the power of your communication skills and um, just listening to yourself more and becoming more hyper aware of the way you're asking for things and how you're trying to seek out cooperation. And when you get to that desperate place, when you feel like your back's against the wall and you don't know what to do with them to get them to cooperate in that moment, then don't do anything like hold your tongue for five seconds, walk into the bathroom and close the, close yourself in the, in the bathroom and take a deep breath. Because if you're getting, um, you know, triggered they're, because they're triggered, nobody's learning a lesson. They're not teachable and you're not a good teacher. 
take the pressure off yourself that you need to, you know, get them to do it immediately and actually realize that there's a long-term journey here and their, their heart and who they are as a person is much more important than me getting what I want immediately right now. Um, and, you know, know that that is your responsibility as a parent and that's constantly going to be a, a work in progress. So get, have lots of grace for yourself, but also know, like you had alluded to before, you are going to feel like, you know, other people are going to watch their behavior and label it, or that grandparents are going to have unsolicited advice of things that you need to do. Like you need to spank them more, be more strict. And you're going to have to have kind of an armor to deal with that. You need to do that by doing the work yourself to feel confident that the way you're handling things is the best way for them. And if you don't know that right now, then you're going to feel very insecure and you're going to be very prone to, you know, taking a lot of that advice and feeling a lot of shame. And your child needs you to be their best, strongest advocate, strong in the moments that they are not. And that requires you usually figuring this out uh, comprehensively with support, with a community that gets it, with a lot of validation. And so don't don't stop yourself from asking for help if that's gonna make the hugest difference for your child. Thank you so much, Danielle. Very quickly before we close the show, can you share uh, how people can contact you if they want to learn more from you? Yes, of course. I am on Instagram, I'm at parent underscore wholeheartedly. And you can send me a DM and say, you heard from me from here. Uh, my website is parenting wholeheartedly.com. And I have a free training there on parenting strong-willed kids um, with much more patience, you know, without threats and bribes so that you can break free of guilt and self-doubt. So that's a great place to start. It's an hour-long on-demand video. You can download that from my website. And um, my podcast, Failing Motherhood, um, it has over 100 episodes and you can definitely dive in there. Thank you so much, Danielle. Go ahead and follow Danielle. And if you're on Instagram, go and follow me at Joe Unicorn Coach too. Uh, this show can also be heard on the Spanglish Radio Network. Please check www.spanglishworld.ca for all news and programming. Spanglish World, watch it, hear it, read it, download it, and leave it.